I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome to an autumnal edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. I'm Guy Barter, gardener, avid allotment here and the Society's Chief Horticulturist. Autumn is an intriguing time for gardeners. It's a time of transition. As the leaves change, the fruit and veg of the current year are harvested, preparations are made in earnest for the year ahead, spring bulbs are planted, and measures are deployed to hopefully prevent or at least minimise damage from pests and diseases. Personally, my key autumn priorities are summer pruning. It should really be done in August, but if you haven't done it, uh, there's still time in September. Apples and pears need pruning in the summer if they're the dwarf kind like espaliers or cordons and it's a simple matter of cutting back to just a couple of leaves above a basal cluster. By basal cluster I mean that at the base of every shoot there's a little cluster of leaves and that's where the shoot initiates each year and you cut back to just above that and this by some magical thing induces fruit buds to form. It also takes some of the vigour out of the trees and stops them turning into great uncontrollable bushes. Here at Wisley Garden in Surrey, the autumn changes also include the unveiling of a new garden area which promises to be particularly exciting for younger visitors. The new Back to Nature Garden was officially opened this week. These relationships, however, stretch far beyond the crucial one. My name is Pia and I go to school called Charlton Manor and what what I did this morning I used some sand to make some dams to make uh, the water go through properly. So when the Duchess came, she saw what it was like and I was very pleased with that. My name's Matthew Pottage and I'm the curator here at RHS Garden Wisley. We have quite a special day at the RHS today. We are welcoming Her Royal Highness the Duchess of Cambridge who's coming in to open our RHS Back to Nature Garden which is our play garden here at Wisley. We've had a play area for many years as many of you will know at Wisley and we have completely transformed this space very much inspired by the gardeners both at Chelsea and at Hampton Court working with Davis White, the play area designers, and the Duchess. And this is really all about getting children engaged, back to nature, getting their hands dirty, and being at one with the outdoors. And the new play garden here at Wisley has got many more plants and trees in it. There's water in there. There's these little like Wendy House sheds, which are really good fun. Huge bird's nests that you can climb up into and slide back out of. 
some trampolines among some crabapple trees and it's just a really great place to go and be surrounded by plants and trees and most importantly have fun and be creative in that space. I enjoyed playing in all the sand and having loads of fun playing with my friend. My name is Alana Karma. I am the Schools and Groups Programme Manager. I manage the RHS Campaign for School Gardening. Uh, we're here at RHS Garden Wisley where we have just opened the Back to Nature Garden. So we've got two school groups that we've invited who are RHS Campaign for School Gardening school groups and they were up at the garden earlier on today with the Duchess. Uh, trying out trampolines, swings, slides, water feature. So I think they've had a brilliant time. So do you guys like gardens and gardening? Yes! I never garden. There's a few parts to this. So it's really been conscious of what's around you. What is the outdoors about? Where does your food come from? Why is the outdoors important? Why are plants important? What do they do for our natural ecosystem that's so beneficial? And just being having that awareness, really. And also being outdoors and being alongside plants, bees, butterflies, everything else, is good for you, is good for your mental well-being. We believe that at the RHS. And the only way to get people tuned into that is to expose them to it, to let them be part of it with you. As part of the opening of the garden, we have also run a competition with Blue Peter. Children were invited to design a sculpture to go into the garden, which was unveiled today. So we've got a beautiful butterfly sculpture that's carved out of wood with beautiful rusted wings that Calamatus will grow up and it will look absolutely stunning. And two runners up to that competition were also invited to create their own activity cards. So we've got two new activity cards that have been added to a suite that were made by the Duchess of Cambridge. Uh, we've got an activity card on den building and an activity card on herb planting and turning recycled tins into planters. So these were completely written by the children and we were unveiling those today as well. The activity cards were really designed so that people can do these kind of things at home. You don't need a huge garden to be able to do things. So little activities like welly planters, so getting old wellies and growing plants in those. Anyone can do something like that. There was a fairy garden or a Jurassic garden. It's basically making a miniature little garden. You put little toys in there and decorate it how you like. Uh, and a leaf wand was one, so it's just get a stick sticks and bits to it and you've got your own leaf wand you can go around like a wizard in the garden and we've got a lot of activities here today that are similar to that so there's children wandering around wearing leaf crowns growing pea heads which is another activity we do so yeah it's just all about getting people growing in any way they can and doesn't matter how much space you've got or how skilled you are it's really for everyone and it does bring out the child in, in all of us, I think, because I've been in there with a few of my team members. And yes, trampolines have been bounced on. I did go down a slide. I didn't rip my chinos this time. And then we have played with the little water fountains as well. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And for me, as curator of the garden, it's also beautiful on the landscape because it has gorgeous trees. There's a huge weeping beech tree in there, which I've got a soft spot for. The little riverbed has beautiful rocks. There's some recycled bits of an old pier, which is this gorgeous just boardwalk through there and it is just a really gorgeous space as well as being incredibly good fun so I need to stay out of there Monday to Friday because it wasn't built for me or my team. I'm Andre Davis I'm one of the co-designers of the Back to Nature Gardens. Hello my name's Adam White I'm a Chartered Landscape Architect. Those people that visited RHS Chelsea this year 
will get a surprise when they come to RHS Wisley because lots of the ingredients have been reimagined. So if you saw the waterfall and stream at the shows, that's been recreated as a water play feature here at Wisley. We've used the same style treehouse, so come and visit. You'll see the treehouse from the shows reimagined here. What else have we used, Andre, from the shows? Oh, the hollow log. So this was a real sensation at the flower shows. Working with the Duchess, we sourced a tree that looked really natural. It was covered in moss and plants, uh, had all its roots on still. So that was showcased at the flower shows. Here we've adapted it and it's in the garden, but it's the same tree, same plants, same moss still on it. So we're really looking forward to people being able to use that. And the same trees, remember those trees from Chelsea and Hampton, those huge trees, we had 24 massive six metre high trees. They've all finally made a home for themselves here at RHS Wisley. What's lovely is they're now in the ground and probably thinking, are we going to get moved again? <laughs> no, they get to root and stay. A new feature here at Wisley is the bouncing fruit forest. Oh yes, magic. I know, sounds incredible, but um, it's trampolines set in a growing little growing forest with fruit trees. So we've got some apples there, blackberries that were already growing, perfectly located in yeah. the garden. So the idea is that as you bounce up and down on the trampolines, you can stretch out and grab an apple off a tree. So the garden is as accessible and inclusive as possible. So the tree house here at Wisley is two tree houses with a bridge reaching between them and underneath it is an inclusive pod swing. So anyone, solitary play or social play, you can climb inside it. It's really about every generation, cross-generational play here, reconnecting with nature. It's a wonderful project woven together by some real great playful planting. My name's Ben Brace. I'm Horticultural Projects Manager for the RHS. An important theme here is um, recycling and reusing of all the, the show garden pieces as well. I think that's a, a really important message that I think the RHS wants to get across is, you know, a lot of show gardens are seen as wasteful, but we've managed to really shoehorn and, and really reuse as much and uh, as much as we can throughout this garden um, to give it a final resting place. One of the really important things is we want to get children connected to plants and horticulture and nature. So the planting has been carefully selected so that it's appropriate for a child's space. So we do things like, um, first of all, we don't use thorny plants or poisonous plants. We select things that are pretty robust so that if they get trampled, which they inevitably will, they'll come back. So we've used, for example, a plant rubus tricolor very robust even if it gets trampled it will grow again next year and things that have interesting textures so we've concentrated a lot on texture we do that more than color because for some children on the autism spectrum too much sensory information can be off-putting so we concentrate on texture and scent and aromatic plants so we've used a lot of those in the garden so um, it's important you know that's a real uh, thing that sets this garden apart from other play gardens is the amount of planting in it and the fact that it's been selected specifically for children. I mean, this garden is entirely different from your regular playground. It's got horticulture at the heart of it. It's used natural materials, hasn't got lots of bright colours in there. And hopefully it'll encourage people to grow their own things at home. So a great idea is to grow sunflower seeds. You can grow a few of them, plant them in a circle, grow runner beans up them and create your own living little house. There's lots of ideas here at Wisley that will inspire the next generation to choose landscape. Also, if you haven't got a garden, you know, we really hope that this in, will encourage people to go and explore their local park. Yeah. 
So, you know, introducing play elements into the landscape is a great way of encouraging people who wouldn't necessarily, families who wouldn't necessarily go and um, out into the woods or into a park and play in nature. Um, and that's what we hope this will introduce people to, you know, get outside, enjoy the benefits of nature, whether that's in your own garden or in your local parks. This has probably been one of the most amazing school days I've ever had. Brilliant. That sounds like a very special day and one you won't forget. Yeah. Yeah, we won't forget. I probably will when I'm about 80. You can find links to more information about Wisley and details of events at the garden on the podcast pages of the website, rhs.org.uk slash podcast. One aspect of nature not so welcomed by gardeners are pests. Autumn is a key time for taking precautions to prevent pests wreaking havoc with your favourite plants the following year. These include clearing some, but not all, plant debris and leaves and deploying systems such as nematodes. Earlier today I visited the science teams in the entomology department to hear their advice on how to reduce pest damage. My name's Dr Hayley Jones and I'm an entomologist in the RHS plant health team based at Wisley Garden. We're coming to the end of the main growing season, but there's a few things that you might want to start planting, such as leeks and onions to go through the winter. And if you're thinking of planting up some new ones, you're going to want to plant them under horticultural fleece to exclude the allium leaf miner. So that's a fly that it lays its eggs near the base of the stem of the plants and the larvae, they burrow into the plant. They let in all kinds of secondary rots and they can cause complete collapse of your leeks and onions and other alliums. There's no way of treating this, so the only thing to do is to keep them out. And if you're going to keep them out, you have to start from the get-go. So make sure you're planting um, into a new area, practice crop rotation so you've not got any of the flies in the soil already. And then once you've planted them, cover them with a horticultural fleece, which will stop the fly from flying in and laying its eggs. It's a bit tricky to recognise when you've got this problem because often what people will notice is the plants collapsing. So they'll just kind of generally look sick, they might fall over, but if you then pull them up, they'll be rotten inside and really you're looking for the tiny brown pupae of the fly to be sure that that's exactly what's caused the problem. So we mostly hear about this problem on onions and leeks, but we also have had some records from chives and shallots and garlic. We haven't really heard about it from ornamental allium, but that's probably because their growing time doesn't line up with the two generations of the fly. Another thing to start thinking about if you have fruit trees is the winter moth. So this is called, the winter moth is named because its caterpillars are active and feeding in the colder months when there's not many other caterpillars around. But this moth is very interesting because the female moth doesn't have any wings, only the male does. And this means that once she comes out of her pupae in the soil, she has to walk up the tree rather than fly up into the tree. This means that you can use a grease band or or a glue barrier to prevent her getting up into the tree. And so it's quite a simple, straightforward prevention measure that you should put on your fruit trees in about October time. So they come in two main formats, a grease band, which is like a solid product that you wrap around the tree um, and attach on there. That's usually good for a smooth barked tree because you can get quite a snug fit. 
but if your tree ha has quite knobbly bark then you're going to want to use a glue to make sure you get a continuous barrier all the way around without any little cracks and gaps that something could squeeze through. If you've had a problem with vine weevil throughout the season, now is the time to think about treating them with nematodes. So vine weevil is a small beetle. It's often known because the adults eat kind of notches into the sides of leaves of shrubs, but really it's the larval stage that's more damaging. Um, the small grubs live underground or in the composting pots and they feed on roots. So for plants in pots, these larvae can kill them off because, you know, they're contained in quite a small area. They can eat enough of the roots to kill the plants completely. In the open ground, they're not usually so much of a problem except on very sensitive plants like sedum and primula. The adults are very resistant to any treatments and so it's really the larvae that you've got to target and you want to target the new generation that is there in late summer to autumn. The nematode biological control is a microscopic worm that you water into the compost or soil and it infects the grubs while they're there. And it needs a minimum of five degrees in temperature to work properly. That means that you need to apply it in the late summer autumn when the grubs are present, but before it gets too cold and so the nematodes aren't effective anymore. Now's the time to get them ordered so that you're ready to apply them before it gets too cold. As before, there are links to more information about the topics discussed on the podcast pages of the RHS website. And finally, with the gentle music of the Back to Nature Festival in the background, some poetry. I wandered lonely as a cloud. Autumn is the perfect time for planting. Yes, you guessed it, daffodils. The garden teams are making preparations for a mass narcissi planting that will create a, a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, which will emerge fluttering and dancing in next spring's breeze. It's part of a spectacular floral celebration of Wordsworth. Hiya, my name's Mark Tusson. I'm the team leader of the Welcome and Riverside team, and we manage the Pine Eatum Riverside area and the National Collection of Heathers. So a Pine Eatum is a collection of pines and conifers, Ours are quite mature, some of the oldest trees in the garden are within this space and we're here today and we want to try and recreate a nice spring kind of meadow throughout. So tell me about your meadow and tell me about the Narcissus planting and why it's going ahead. So these are cyclaminous types, they are smaller varieties, they're not your kind of bigger cultivars that you'd see in a garden setting. But they are all daffodils? Oh yes, yes they are, they're all Narcissus cyclaminea, so yeah. Yeah, a smaller variation in type. They've got a slight scent to them and they give a bit more of a natural appearance as well. Why are you doing this mass planting? So we wanted to add to the pinetum and give it a bit more of a meadow feel so that during the spring there's like a good combination of colour and yeah, it just kind of shows off the trees above as well. So tell me about some of the varieties you've used. Mm, so we've got a few that are going in. They're quite fun names, actually. So Narcissus, Jenny, Jack Snipe, Mother Duck, Lemon Drops, and Terna. So um, yeah, they're all like fun names. So they'll they'll hopefully stick in people's minds as well. And how do you how do you plant and look after daffodils to get the best results? Mm, so we will be planting in in the in the autumn. So sometime in September, towards the end, hopefully we'll get a bit more rain, and that that'll add to the uh, the ground conditions. We'll then dig a hole roughly two to three times the depth of the bulb 
So if your bulb size is five centimeters, you dig 10 to 15 centimeters deep. And what we'll do is we want to create a naturalistic look. So we'll grab handfuls of the bulbs and just scatter them about on the floor. And where they land, we'll then dig and plant. So we, we might plant two or three in each, in each um, hole, and that'll just add to its naturalistic look. So you talked about hard ground. So for people who also live in low, water, mm. low, low rain areas, if the rain doesn't come, um, how do you soften the ground or how do you get around those problems? Um, if you find the ground is really difficult to dig, then, yeah, you could put a sprinkler on just as a bit of preparation and that'll just loosen the ground a bit. But equally, the bulbs will be fine. You know, with a bit of winter rain, they'll soon settle in and start growing in the season. For domestic gardeners, where should they choose to plant daffodils? And what, what are the big do's and don'ts, the mistakes that people make? Certainly with these cyclaminous ones, because they're quite small, you'd want these ones like at the front of a border or even naturalising through a bit of meadow. If, if you want to soften your edges, then this is a good way to do it. And what pests and diseases do you have to watch out for and what precautions do you take? Are squirrels a problem? Yeah, squirrels can be a problem if, if you've got smaller bulbs especially. Not so much as like when you're planting crocus, because you're actually planting the bulb deeper than what you would a crocus bulb. Squirrels don't tend to dig down that deep, so yeah, you're quite fortunate in that way. But uh, when it comes to planting them or ev- even buying them, make sure you're buying like strong healthy bulbs if you give them a little squeeze and they're a bit squishy probably best to discard them equally if you've left them lying about in your cupboard or boot you know it's worth putting them in the ground they will survive they're tough little things and they they just want to get growing if you want to look for a little bit more if you just look on the rhs website under bulbs and planting you'll, you'll certainly find a lot more greater detail there Mark Tucson. That will be a truly spectacular sight in the spring. One person who will be delighted, I'm sure, by this Wordsworth tribute is Ron Scamp, a nursery owner who is truly daffy about daffodils. So let's end this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast by hearing about Ron's passion for this plant. Goodbye. We started the business, more than myself, 29 years ago. I'd already been breeding and showing and growing daffodils as an amateur for at least another 10, 15 years before that, we took the decision to make a business of it. And uh, today we're growing nearly 2,500 different varieties and we're supplying to customers literally all over Europe. Daffodils has been a passion with me all my life. I just love daffodils. I was brought up with daffodils and I think I'll probably pass on with daffodils. It's a good harbinger of spring. We have daffodils early in January, sometimes even before Christmas. Early in January, we have them right the way through to middle of May. It's just a nice, cheerful thing to be amongst. If you can imagine sitting in a dull, dreary day and you've got daffodils in the garden or even daffodils in a vase uh, to decorate your home, couldn't be nicer. As far as I'm concerned, it couldn't be nice. We've had customers that have been 14 years customers, which is nice. That's a good repeat to come back and buy from you again and again and appreciate what we do. Well, it's impossible to say what varieties. There are lovely ones to start with, you know, something that is relatively simple. 
something that'll grow in almost any condition but if you've got a garden that is fairly open or if you have got trees then they want to be dappled trees don't have dense shade dense shade isn't good for it because the daffodil grows in alpine meadows which is open aspect so a nice garden choose a soil a good loam well drained and um, I don't think you can go wrong they look after themselves and they're all my babies you know but if I could only have a couple of Lucyclamenias that flowers early in March and I might choose some of my sweet scented jonquillas there's one called Littlefield Mauser those are sweetly scented multi-headed and they flower a little bit later in the season if I could take a dozen that would be nice we're based in Falmouth and uh, we, we have a website www.qualitydaffodils.com or our um, nursery and fields are based just outside Falmouth but it's not open to the public except by special invitation or request. We walk the fields, Adrian and myself, almost every day checking on the varieties to make sure that they are free of disease and pest and um, they're correctly named. We don't grow it in one particular spot. We move to new ground every time we plant, and we never go back to that ground for six years. But uh, no, daffodils once in every five or six years. It prevents a build-up of pathogens. If you have an attack of a fungal problem, it can remain dormant in the ground for many years, and nobody is proofed. Even we get a problem every now and then, but it's how you look after the ground and how you look after your plants afterwards and during that period. You have to be very, very ruthless, careful, and uh, particularly quality control is foremost in our mind. You buy a bunch of daffodils, you take them home, and you've got a smile on your face. You look at daffodils and you always have a smile on your face. I'm not going to quote Wordsworth because I'm bound to get it wrong, but he had it dead right. And all of a sudden I saw a host of golden daffodils dancing in the breeze. Couldn't be better, could it, really? Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit Cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. 
and you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.